This is a podcast by The Straits Times. You are listening to Letter from the Bureau, a podcast series which is part of The Straits Times Asian Insider Channel. I'm your host and ST's foreign editor, Li Xueying. Now, the letter from the Bureau is like a scenic detour from the hard news that keeps hitting the global headlines. Here, we talk about life as it goes on amid all the crises. I chat each month with one of ST's correspondents in the Asia-Pacific, the US and Europe, and they share with you their observations and insights on what's unfolding in their patch. In our 27th episode, we're speaking with ST's Thailand correspondent, Tan Tan Mei. Good to have you on the show, Tan Mei. Thanks for having me. So Tanmay, well, as we all know, Thailand is a very popular tourist destination known for its food, its beaches, its culture. Well, stargazing, not so much. Can you tell us a bit more about how this new trend came about and when did it begin? So for Thailand, like you mentioned, people know they come here for the beach, the sun, the food, even shopping. But for stargazing, it's not a very well-known activity. Actually, domestically, there are lots of people who do travel within Thailand, especially to places like Khao Yai, mm. which is known for being a cooler during certain seasons, especially near the year end. Mm. And they do do like their own stargazing, standing outside their tents, you know, looking up. <laughs> but it's only much recently that the Tourism Board and NARIT, which is the Astronomical Research Society here, decided to kind of collaborate and take this a step further by making it more official. So what they did was that they decided let's come up with some criteria you know to decide that this place is actually a good place for stargazing and encourage people to go there so one of the things is that these places are normally in more rural areas outside of bangkok but it's not too far either it's about three hours by Mm, car yes you know so you can hit there on a weekend trip Mm. and you can when you go there you're, you're guaranteed to get some good views of the sky because it's not blocked it's quite dark and um, based off the images that some people have shown us, you can really see all sorts of stars and, and constellations, and they're really quite beautiful. So mm. that's something that's been more recent, this officializing of that area. Right, I see. So I'm going to come back to that in a bit. But first, I wanted to ask you, you did go to Pachong yourself mm. to report on the story. Can you tell us what it's like? Take us there. What will we see if we're there? So Pat Chong is one of the more rural areas. I mean, we got Bangkok, and then you know we got the places outside, which I think most tourists don't get to see. Mm. So I think once we got to Pat Chong, we got there around nightfall, and I have to say you don't really know pitch dark until you go into a <laughs> into a farmland in the middle of nowhere. And by like eight or nine, it's really it's really pitch dark, and you can hardly see beyond even your fingers. That's one of the things that really makes it right for stargazing. Mm. And um, Pak Chong itself is known for farming, known for its dairy farms. You know, so things are uh, quite fun. Why? Even the the area that we visited to stargaze was a former dairy farm. Unfortunately, the day we visited, it was actually raining. Oh, okay. So we couldn't really get to see much. But what we did see the next day in the morning, even I didn't know you could look at the sky in the morning, but. One of the things that one of the uh, amateur astronomers showed us was uh, you could look at the sun and you could look at sunspots. Oh. So it was quite interesting. Like you could look at the sun and you could see that there were craters or like, you know, just darker spots on it. And these were the textures of the sun. What time was that when you were looking at the sun? Maybe about nine or ten. So, you know, like everyone tells you mm. not to look at the sun. Yes. Yeah, that's right. This guy gave me a pair of binoculars and said he had put on the correct uh, filters filter. and right. to, to wear it. And I said, are you sure? 
<laughs> you know, but he was like, he was like, sure. And then he showed me he did it. And when I saw it, it really quite, was quite interesting to see the texture of the sun. You know, I never thought the sun had texture. Is that something you can see only in a place like Pak Chong when, like you said, there's no light pollution? I mean, I think you can see it as long as the sky conditions are good. Mm. Um, so generally, when you move out of Bangkok, the weather gets better. There isn't as much pollution in a sense and it's clearer. So whether or not in the, in the day, like we were looking at the sun or whether or not at night, things are generally uh, easier to see, you know, and mm. there's also less light pollution because, um, okay. I mean, Bangkok is also known for having lots of you know, nighttime activities and you've got all your crazy lights. Uh, but once you move out of the city, uh, things do get a bit calmer and the lights are, of course, dimmer. And that does mm. help you to see clearer and see better, you know, what we have in the sky, which is really quite beautiful. I see. So you were talking just now about how the officials are looking to promote what we call astro-tourism in Thailand. What really are the kind of tourists that they're hoping will be attracted to this? And how does this fit into the bigger plan of how the country wants to continue to push for tourism? You know, it's so important to Thailand, contributing to 20% of the GDP. Yeah, so yes, tourism is actually one of the biggest drivers right now as Thailand tries to recover. Mm. And actually, a lot of the recovery right now in the past few years after COVID relies so much on tourism. So I think every little bit that they can get helps. Mm. So while I, I would say astro-tourism is not going to bring in that, that big portion, yes. I, I do think it's, it's, it's part of that little more community start of like, how should we bring people to our area? And, and it does bring people to the more rural areas that no one would really care about on a normal day. Mm. So I think mm. right now, authorities are really targeting domestic tourism because these are quite niche areas. They require some sort of transport there are some tours, but they're very limited and I don't think they sell themselves exclusively as a astro-tourism tour. Sometimes they package it as a, you know, let's visit um, a winery, let's visit a different park. Yes. But more for now, it's more about domestic tourism, trying to stimulate that. But we did speak with some of the local guides there, you know, people who are part of the astro-tourism club in Pak Chong. And of course, they do hope that it becomes international. And I have to say, actually, after writing the piece, there were a few Singaporeans who wrote in, you know, who were asking, how can we get to see this? Who can we contact? And I, I think that's little bits of people wanting to really pursue something a, a little less you travel, an area that no one really sees. And I think that's something quite unique and quite, yes. yeah, quite fun to do. I would guess that the people who are going to be attracted to this, it's not like they're going to go to Thailand just because of this, mm. but they could well extend their trips in Thailand and spend more in the local communities. Yeah, correct, correct. And I think one thing that one of the guides shared was people travel you know, 24 hours to see the Northern Lights. Mm. Yeah, in, in Finland, Iceland, Canada. But you can travel just two hours or three hours to Thailand and you can see something quite spectacular, you know. Why not? Mm. You joke that it's maybe your the beginner's guide you know, to astro-tourism. <laughs> and I mean, I don't disagree. It, it can be quite beautiful and what they what they have shown me and what they've seen. Yeah, I never thought you would see just a couple of hours from Singapore. That must have been really spectacular. So this push to promote stargazing is, of course, coming at a time when, as you noted, Thailand is really struggling to bring back tourists post-pandemic. We do know that back in 2019, there were 39 million visitors to Thailand. And I think, unfortunately, it doesn't look like Thailand is going to reach that same number this year, despite all the efforts to bring back tourists. So can you tell me a bit more about the reasons for the difficulties and what else are the authorities trying to do to bring them back? 
I think from the get-go when everyone was trying to recover from COVID, Thailand was one of the fastest movers, in fact. They welcomed tourists back really fast and they had actually quite novel schemes to, to welcome them back, like the island sandbox, so they fenced them on Phuket. And that was actually relatively popular and it made them one of the fastest movers in, in that area. Mm. But I think to some extent, Thailand kind of fell back on their own model of tourism. They needed that masses, that mass and so-called cheaper tourism, which a lot of came from countries like China, India. And as we know, Chinese tourists are not coming back to most regions. Yes, A lot of them are traveling domestically. So that's one of the reasons why Thailand hasn't seen the numbers. So to their credit, they have gone to pursue other markets, like they have ramped up their India kind of marketing and they're trying to just welcome as many people as they can. So even, for example, just a couple of weeks ago, they even gave people from Kazakhstan visa-free entry. Wow, okay. So it's quite a niche yes. market, but I think to them, it's kind of whoever wants to come, just come and we'll try our best. But I mean, in recent months, things have not been great for the region. I think one of the things is the that whole fear over kidnapping scams mm. and that lack of control in certain regions in Southeast Asia. Mm. So I think Thailand has been also one of the countries implicated in this safety fears. And from what I hear from my Chinese friends, it really does spread uh, like wildfire, this kind of rumours and that fear. And um, actually just last week, I was speaking to this Chinese travel blogger and she told me the most recent thing to really impact Chinese tourism was the shooting in San Paragon. Mm, yes. So that came a bit of a, a shock to me because I thought it was a very one-off and it doesn't seem it would happen again because it wasn't a problem that seemed to be reoccurring. But she said that after that happened, a lot of her viewers, a lot of her people that she knew uh, really cancelled their trips. They just went home the next day even, even though it was kind of over. So I think there are certain tensions that have really kind of shocked the Chinese market that Thailand was relying on. So that's one of the reasons that they don't get the mass. And I think secondly, the tourist model has not really moved. It's still the sand, the sun, the beaches, the shopping. And what people are looking for are also quite different things like ecotourism, which they wanted to push, didn't really get as much traction because those are more expensive, requires more time. So their model has to change a bit, I feel, to really bring that numbers back. And what have you seen the Thai authorities try to do on this front? I mean, you talk about sun, sea, sand. Now we can add stars to that. <laughs> but as you said, that's not going to be quite a game changer. Mm. So what really should Thailand be looking at in order to overcome this deluge of challenges? Mm. In terms of that safety front, they have been trying. So I mean, there was that hoo-ha to speak about whether Chinese police could come and patrol. But I think that's really just a, a drop in the ocean of what needs to be really done. Perhaps a lot more of like recruiting, I mean, looking towards other tourist areas and trying to push maybe second tier cities or more provincial experiences, which we can see in the community is happening. There are some very community-based groups trying to encourage this. But I think on the more the official level, the tourism authorities or even um, foreign MFA, the kind of pushes they are doing to get people to come is quite, yeah, it hasn't really changed much from the old model we know. Right. So I think yes. there's still more focus on getting economic investments, which isn't wrong either, you know, but for tourism that brings in your bulk, what new stuff can you offer? Or should Thailand also, you know, just rely less on tourism because now it's still relying very heavily on it. Yes. You know, which isn't really going to come back in the same full force that we know it used to be in. Yes. Well, the diversification of the economy is going to be a much trickier and long, not even longer term endeavor. We have seen the new prime minister going out and about trying to get business investments for Thailand. 
I wonder if you have any sense of how that is landing at this point. So for now, it's still a lot of just dialogue. It's people both agreeing that, yeah, it's a good opportunity. But in terms of really people putting their money where their mouth is, yes, it has yet to happen. And I think because it's still early. I mean, to be fair, it's still early. And I think that's why they're banking a lot on the APEC because there's talk about PM SETA meeting Tesla, all sorts of big MNCs to encourage them to either bring their operations here or to kind of ramp up their manufacturing. But I think, honestly, things can only go so far. I think realistically, we know that sometimes the economic troubles are also very structural in how uh, income is divided in, within the society, in how even education, what kind of people are they producing and what at what caliber can they fill the need that Thailand has in terms of the workforce. So those are more structural issues that I, I think if they solve those, things could slowly be better. But I, I think, of course, governments just do want to solve the big issues also of the economic investment. So I think it's, there has to be some balance there, which we aren't seeing just yet as well. Just coming back to the topic of stargazing, you did manage to go down, although the rain stymied your efforts to see the stars, but you did manage to see the sun and you sort of experienced a different part of Thailand, a different feel. How did that make you look at Thailand with fresh eyes? I mean, you have been living in Thailand for two years now. Any uh, sense of, um, what was the sense of freshness that you get you got from that experience going out there? I think that sense of freshness or awe that I got was actually really meeting the people there. Mm. So one of the interviewees that I had was a dairy farmer who you know, studied chemical engineering and and these people are very smart people and they do enjoy their hobbies and they really go out on their hobbies and that was something that I thought was very refreshing. So this guy actually, even though he has chemical engineering background, he doesn't really have experience building a telescope, building a stargazer, but he was so passionate that he actually went to learn and now he's actually selling them on a small scale. Oh. Yeah, and one of the things he does that's quite interesting is that he says that he also repairs telescopes for people. So telescopes are quite expensive and I think to repair them is also quite expensive. So what he does is that he repairs them and he says the market is, is so small and you know I, I don't mind trying out and doing it. So I, I think it was very refreshing to meet such people who are so passionate about a very specific subject and right. of all places in Thailand, you know, of all places <laughs> on a dairy farm and yes. they were very warm and very welcoming about it. They really just wanted to share their passion for the sky and, and yeah, what they observe. Well, wow. so from dairy farm to a stargazing facility, mm. from uh, a chemical engineer to now an astronomer mm. and telescope repairer, yeah. it sounds like there was a lot of uh, creativity going on at the grassroots level. Mm. And there was, there seems to be what's driving a lot of this passion on stargazing in Thailand. Yeah, on that note, for tourists who do visit Thailand or people who do come here, when you get out of Bangkok, you really see quite a different view of Thailand. You see different people as well. Because sometimes in Bangkok, all you see are the, those who are looking at tourists and dealing with tourists. But when you go out and you deal with people who have no business in tourism, they, they offer you a very different look. Uh, of how they view the world, how they view Thailand. Mm. And it's nice to just stop and, and listen and discover that it's not just what we see in Bangkok that is Thailand. How wonderful. Okay, sounds like I should make a trip myself at one point. Thank you so much, Tan Mei, for being on the show and sharing with us. Thank you so much for your time, yeah. Well, that's a wrap for the Letter from the Bureau, a podcast by The Straits Times. If you would like to read Tan Mei's column, we have a link in our podcast show notes. You will also find a link to other articles in our Letter from the Bureau series. That was a podcast by The Straits Times.
Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.